music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Welcome to the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Hey, it's Matt Pinfield. It's the Hivecast coming to you from Atlantic Studios, and I'm with John from Portugal to Man. The latest album is called Evil Friends. John, good to see you again, man. Yeah, great to see you. You know, I mean, uh, the last couple of times we ran into each other, I did an interview with you for 120, and also uh, at Lollapalooza, I guess it might have been 2011, and that incredible experience yeah. where you went through what every band's nightmare is, where your equipment was stolen there. Yeah, I have no idea what happened with that whole thing. It's it's really, it's a crazy, crazy story. I mean, simply because I see bands tweeting all the time about getting gear stolen. And that's what happened to us at Lollapalooza. You know, we're parked in the Hilton, you know, secured lot, and woke up in the morning, our van was just gone. Like, van, trailer, every bit of our gear. Last tour we were doing in a van, so we had everything with us. And I guess when I got the call about it, I tweeted that, that we had our stuff stolen. And somehow it just became a thing. Yeah. I mean, you can't predict that stuff. Like I remember I retweeted it and told people that... Yeah. Yeah, and thank you, because all that stuff added up to this just massive, massive response. And I, I think the van and trailer were found within a couple of days of that, and all the gear, or most of the gear, within yeah. um, a few days of that as well. So. And a lot of that gear was real vintage gear, wasn't it? Because of some of the instruments that you guys use, the string instruments, they're not easily replaceable. Oh, no, you, you can't replace that stuff. Even if you find, like, I had a 1964 Fender Super Reverb. And you can get another 1964, but it's not going to sound the same. I mean, they're all hand-wired. Those amps are built by hand. They, they each have their own sound, their own, their own thing. And, but man, the pile of stuff that we had, I feel really silly. I mean, it's, we got tweets saying, why are you carrying around gear like that? <laughs> and it's simply because it sounds good. That sounds the best to yeah. me. Yeah, and you want to reproduce what you also do on your records. You don't want to sit there and go, well, you know, I can get away with it being like this. But if you come up with certain sounds and tones, why, you know, on the record itself, you want to have, have that actually be able to be reproduced. Yeah, it, exactly. Like, it, when you go out and play, like, you want to feel that thing. Like, I want to feel that era of music. I mean, you can really hear it in those those amps. You you do notice that stuff. I mean, I've, I've said it about, like, even Wu-Tang. Like, yeah. Like, the, you know, 36 Chambers... You listen to that, and the reason that worked so well is because it's not necessarily because it's hip-hop or, or what was going on. It's because those tones, I mean, Rizzo yeah. was really insanely smart with, yeah. with that stuff. It was all these tones. Like, you knew that amp, and whether it was actually used on a Smokey Robinson record or not, like, you knew that tone, you knew that sound, and those are our amplifiers, and that's what we use. I think it's great. Well, you and I were speaking earlier about... Uh... Like one of the things that we bonded on when we first met was the fact that you had mentioned that growing up in Alaska, you'd love the Oasis and how the was it a cassette or was it a CD of Morning Glory had it, been a big part of your life. Man, I bought that CD. Every kid in my school, I, I'll start out with Alaska's punk rock. Alaska yeah. is this rock and roll of the kids. Nobody at my school listened to Oasis. I mean, I had to hide that CD from people, but I loved it so much. I mean, we would listen to it. Going to hockey practice. I mean, we were we were pretty little at that time, and hearing Champagne Supernova on the radio, like just hearing these things that were, I mean, they weren't really happening at that time. I mean, they were writing big, big songs. Absolutely. You were recently talking uh, before the interview about how, you know, people like 
Liam and Noel and Kanye, people get offended sometimes when they'll talk and they don't have no filter. But it's also one of the cool things about those guys and why they're rock stars. Oh, man, it's the absolute best. There's nothing better than somebody being passionate about what they do. And, of course, it's going to be polarizing. You're going to feel, you know, they're attacking you in some way or you're going to root for them. And it's just, that's the reason Kanye is the biggest rapper around and the best. Because he'll say it. He's, he's not scared to do that. I mean, it's funny when you see something like the, the Kendrick Lamar thing that blew up that, yeah. that verse. Yeah. I mean, you see that and you go, like, I thought that's what it was about. Right, exactly. I mean, or recently become... that Jimmy Kimmel thing where they were like battling. I don't know if you heard about that. <laughs> I, I missed that. But Jimmy Kimmel, he was mad at Jimmy for doing a parody of him and told me he had to apologize and, and started tweeting and you know, oh, just going hilarious. nuts. And then Jimmy, of course, showed all the tweets and, you know, him making pictures of SpongeBob and calling that Jimmy's face. And, you know, Kanye's a very passionate guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he should be. I mean, he should be. He's got this thing going. And I think he's very aware of what's happening with kids and in culture. And I think that's what makes it. Absolutely. Let's talk about the Evil Friends album. Working with Brian Burton, which everybody knows is Danger Mouse, uh, he's an incredible producer, worked on so many great records, and how did you end up deciding to work with, were you fans of all the things he's worked with? Because if you look at some of the things that he's done. Yeah, yeah you, you go online, you check out what he's done, and you can see it. I mean, people that didn't know him, I mean, mainly my Alaskan friends, like they, yeah. they would look it up and go, oh my God, this guy has only made good music. Yeah. You know, I mean, right when he started, of course he was in Athens, Georgia, and you know, He'd been at school, and then he was making this, doing this record in his house, and it became one of the biggest, most downloaded illegal bootleg records of all yeah. time. And to have that turn into the career that it did for Brian, just because he's an incredible idea guy, too. Yeah, and he's punk rock. Yes. I mean, that's, that's really, really what punk is T to me. I mean, it's about just doing what you want, like express yeah. yourself. Like, you know, make the Grey album. Who cares? Yeah. Try and sue me. Yeah. Like, you can't. I mean, he's always done these great things. And honestly, like, I'll just be straight up about it. Like, he was on our list up until about like three years ago. Because three years ago, we realized that there's no way that we're going to get Danger Mouse to produce a record. Like, it's yeah. just impossible. And I think the person that actually got the ball rolling was uh, Patrick Carney. When we were out with the Black Keys, he, he had kind of walked past our room a couple of times. And then he gave me this nod, like, you know, come out in the hall. And I went out there, and and he was he was just saying like, man, like, we're on tour all the time. I see you're on tour all the time. You're putting out records all the time. You're working on something, right? Like you're making a new album. And I said, well, yeah, you know, we're we're going in after this. And he said, you know, you should think about Brian producing a record. And of course, Zach and I were both just like, who? who? Yeah, <laughs> Who's exactly. Brian? <laughs> I know Danger Mouse. I don't know Brian. But uh, yeah, he kind of gave us that nudge, and I really didn't think about it much after that uh, we went into the studio and just out of nowhere we kind of got a call from uh, Craig Kalman um, over here at Atlantic and he said that Danger Mouse wanted to meet up yeah and we did it's amazing because when you look at their uh, history together Danger Mouse and the Black Keys guys you know attack and release and then tighten up and then they did that whole last record of course together you know I mean El Camino and um you know, and Patrick, you know, he was renting an apartment here in town, and he called me up, and he had vinyl acetate of the record. He's like, come over, we'll listen to the whole album. And the idea was incredible. It was like 34 minutes or whatever. It was like an old 70s yeah. record. It had all that glam influence on it. 
Um, and Patrick's such a great guy to begin with, isn't he? He is. That's why I torn with he, with him and uh, Dan. It was great. I mean, we had never played shows like that. There, there were some things about it that I thought were really funny because Patrick and Dan, I mean, they're both really down to earth. I mean, they're real dudes. Yeah, they are absolutely. real dudes. They're, there's nothing rock star about what they do. I mean, though they rightfully could, all, that, all of that. Um, the funniest thing for me was showing up for the first date. I, we went to Paris, and I actually wrote a song for Evil Friends called Hip Hop Kids. Yeah. Um, on that tour, it was just this bizarre setting to be in. Like, these kids from Akron, Ohio, are now playing stadiums. They're playing these yeah. massive places. We're showing up, and we're going to you know, eat at a buffet, like, we have to stand in line for a buffet, like, before the shows, and I was just thinking about how far from punk rock and rock and roll all of that is, but at the same time, that's what it is. Like, it really is, and, you know, they have those punk roots, too, with their whole blues thing, and big, Patrick's definitely. a huge record collector, so it's Dan, you know, and, you know, so it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. And then, of course, those guys getting to play with the Stones on stage, and Patrick mentioned to a friend of mine, because, you know, we're, we're all friends, and he said to him, he goes, well, what do you think? He goes, I was scared shitless, man, you know, getting on playing with the Stones on stage is a pretty intense thing, you yeah, know? You can't even imagine <laughs> something like that. You but, know, when you're starting out, you don't think you'll ever get to that place, you know what I mean? Just like you probably felt like you didn't think you'd ever be playing in arenas and stadiums. Oh, no way. <laughs> I never thought we were going to travel to Europe. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't expect any of that. I mean, you really can't. That's the way these things work, and... In my experience, it's just do what you love. If you love it, just do it. It doesn't matter if you're making money, if you're in a stadium, if you're eating you know, salmon in a buffet line. Like, yeah. that, that doesn't matter. Yeah. And that's what the Black Keys are. And I, and I, you know, too. I respect because, it. And you guys haven't strolled from, from your vision as well as a band. I mean, you really haven't. Oh, we keep it real. Yeah, and it's great the way you kind of really, you, you use social media in so many different ways to expose this record to begin with, and just some of the cool things that you guys put up online. Like, I was laughing at the one thing, the one painting on the day two of the making of, because when I first saw the heads, I was like, holy shit, it looks like me. And I, not that I would ever think it was, but it was a bald guy. I was like, dude, that's freaking, it was freaking me out a little bit. Of course, it was that's just, right. I was dying when I saw that. Yeah, maybe you'll make the next one. <laughs> but, but it was very cool. And then, you know, making, releasing different videos like the title track and... Yeah, we, yellow, red, and blue, which is a great one as well. Jeez, we we did so many videos. Like we've already really done did. so many videos. And I, I think that's like, cool. You you're giving a different visual yeah. for all your fans. Is you must enjoy the experience of making them. Then, Do you? I I grew up watching movies. Like that's all I did. That, that's what I would have ended up doing is being behind the scenes in that. Yeah. I, I have no idea how I fell into music outside of, you know, my passion for music, but I think. Being able to put a visual to that sound and being able to have, like add some contrast to like have some something that does something different to you when you yeah. hear the song. You know? Yeah, like we have the Modern Jesus one. I mean, there's a bunch, and and really, I mean, it's amazing. A lot of people are have watched them uh, online. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I saw one of them was up to six over six hundred thousand. So yeah, I well, was very excited to see that for you guys. I mean, all of them are in the range of like four hundred and six hundred thousand. Does that blow your mind to think you know how many people are really checking out? It does. It does. <laughs> I mean, I saw when Purple, Yellow, Red, and Blue got it got used for some. Um, God, what was it? It was the E three conference. Yeah. And the YouTube comments just like blew up. Like, I mean, it was crazy. Like everybody was commenting and. 
you know, who is this band from Portugal? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, this of course. People still think you're <laughs> band from Portugal. I remember exactly. first when I found out you're from Alaska and then made your way to Portland. Yeah, Portland. Well, Portland and Portugal, you know, I mean, it's, it rings the same way with a P.O.R. in the beginning of it. Though. It just sounds good, right? Yeah, I mean, you guys have, right, from starting out as, as, as you were, you know, doing your first couple records on Fearless and then that imprint you had with Equal Vision, um, all that, you know, I mean, it's you, you now, of course, being on Atlantic, uh, you know, for its last couple of records as well. I mean, it's uh, it's a, it's been an amazing ride for you guys. It freaks me out. I mean, when we we started out, this whole band has just been about working hard, and it, it's the Alaskan thing. It's like yeah. you just go out and you do what you love. Period. You don't really care about you know that buffet line. You just see the rice cooker and you know the few dollars that you can put in it. So yeah. we just toured as much as we could. All of our records have just been about trying to learn more and yeah. trying to get better at writing songs. And that's why we put out a record every year. And that's why we toured with every single band we could. We yeah. toured with hardcore bands, like Poison the Well, like having, you know, giant dude in the back of the room, shaved head, flipping us off the entire set, like entire set dedicated to hating us. Like we did all that stuff simply because we needed to get better at playing music. And you almost need that. You get up to that challenge, you know what I mean? Because you're always going to... I mean, that's been the thing that's been happening as long as I, I know rock and roll. I mean, in the 60s, 70s, you hear about Phil Maurice, but even I saw shows as a kid growing up where, you know, it'd be Cheap Trick, UFO, and Rush, and this was when I was very young. And, and like, all those heavy-duty, like, Rush fans were prog, hated Cheap Trick. They saw Rick Nielsen. They're flipping them the bird the whole yeah. time. And I, of course, loved the. Oh, I liked all three bands as a kid, but I'm like, why are you being such assholes? But that makes you better because then you're like, you just, you rise to the challenge. Yeah, there's something you know? funny about all that. Like, when there's somebody Everybody has to experience it. And then if they stay together and they, and they soldier on, then you know you're really in it for the long haul. Because some, you know, you have past members. You know, some people just can't get with the touring life and devote themselves to that kind of thing. It's not for everybody. I mean, it's really <laughs> obviously not for everybody. The second you go out there, like yeah. every single kid who thinks they want to play music and thinks they can do it, you can't. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to say that you cannot, and that's so you can try harder, first of all, yeah. but it's a difficult thing. You're crammed into a van, you're sleeping on hotel rooms with six other people in the same room, yeah. if you get that. I mean, we've slept in parking lots. Yeah. We've done all of that stuff. It's, it's really difficult. I mean, work hard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is The Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. So did you see any concerts in Alaska? Did people come to where you were? What was the first things you got to see live there? Because people will wonder, you know, when they see Alaskan landscapes and they know about the different... How close were you to Anchorage? Were you near there? Uh, we were 40 miles north of Anchorage. So did you drive there to see shows or... Yeah, we saw pretty much everything in Anchorage. Who came? I, Who I were mean, some of those earliest shows? So my first concert was Pantera. Yeah. This is the best concert I've ever seen. Yeah. No one will ever top this. It's Another Atlanta, Atlanta artist, of course. You know, Dude, you Pantera yeah, is so, so rock and roll. Yeah. Those dudes could care less, you know? Yeah. And they're... A, another band, like they've obviously practiced. They are technically, uh, you know, some of the best musicians on the planet. Yeah. You know, they came out and I saw interviews about yeah. this this Alaskan show after the fact. And they said six thousand people in Alaska 
felt bigger and crazier than 100,000 in Russia. Must have been an insane pit like when they did fucking Hostile. When the crowd erupts to that Pantera song, you're just like, you better get out of the way if you're not ready for it. You know yeah, right? man. I mean, being, a, being a young kid, everybody wants a floor spot. You know, that, yeah. that's what they want. They want the floor spot in this stadium. But are you ready to pay for it, basically? Yeah. Right? I was stoked. I'm, I'm in a seat. Because as a kid, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, you, you were scared. I mean... I was with my buddy who was trying to act tough. I, I was a really shy kid growing up. Really, really shy. And my buddy was trying to act tough until everything went off. Yeah. And then it just immediately we're like, no, we're cool. We're cool. We don't need to jump any fence. We don't need to get down on the pit. Those are some big dudes. I mean, the biggest Alaskan dudes beating the shit out of each other and loving it. Yeah. I mean, that was like a fun night for everybody else. Oh, yeah. I was there just taking in music and <laughs> this insane scene. It was craziness. That was, that was the first show, and then you remember the first show. Third. Yeah, I remember seeing uh, Jesus Lizard. Yeah. At, David uh, Yow. Talk about a crazy dude. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There, there were 20 people there. Yeah. There were 20 people at this show, and I had gone just to see what it was about. You know, yeah. I went to every show that, that happened at gigs. Uh, Gigs was the place that we had for a minute in yeah. Alaska. So whoever played, you'd go and see and just to see what it was what it was about. Yeah, I would I would go to these shows, and I went to that show by myself, and I wish I hadn't because it was. I mean, he was naked, jumping on people. Again, I'm in the back of the room. Like, yeah. there are 20 people there. It was the same as don't place jump to stand. on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't jump on me. It's incredible. Yeah, that that show was cool. Um, I we saw Pantera twice up there. Yeah, but there weren't a lot of shows. I mean, yeah. we would see everything that came through, like super deluxe. We saw yeah. them play, like yeah. just to name a couple of them, Agent Orange. But it was really few and far between. Yeah. And when I when I went to Portland, I you were probably I, so excited to be there with all the five dollars shows, through. like five dollars shows every night. I mean, you you could go buy a shirt for ten bucks and. You could hang with the bands. Like, I never really did any of that stuff because I was a shy kid. But seeing it is what got me really inspired to play music. And it was simply seeing bands I know that I listen to playing for 20 people. Yeah. You know, seeing that was like, oh, all right. So they can do it and they can play for 20 people. That's cool. We can play for no one. If we get to travel around and play music every day. Yeah. That's what I want to do. And look at this. It's worked out really well, which is great. So what's really cool is just the, being that you're a big fan of everything from alternative stuff to old hardcore to, to metal to hip-hop. Um, it's very cool that I know that uh, the Mike D. the Beastie Boys has invited you down recently. So you're going to be going down to the studio sometime soon. Yeah. That must, be, that must be a great feeling because those guys, you know, I've done work with them on and off for, the year, for years and what an influence they've been on so many people. Yeah, you know, we, we've referenced the Beastie Boys on every single record we've made. And we've pulled up the albums and gone, how did they make it sound like this? And it's not, again, it's like, like Wu-Tang, like it's not necessarily about hip-hop or, or anything else. It's just about music and it's about passionate people doing what they love. And that's, they've been there. Like yeah. that was a progressive group from the second they started to the last record they put out. Like that's the greatest hip-hop group of all time. And the thing about the bases is, think about it, they came from that hardcore background. And then even the experimental fun records that I got in trouble for, like Cookie Puss was hilarious, you know, that whole comedy record. But then 
sampling ACTCs back in black for rock hard and then being getting a cease and desist where they weren't allowed. You know what I mean? And that, they had a 12 inch that had to be pulled from the shelves of rock hard. I mean, I love that they just didn't care and took all those chances and had fun. Yeah, that's what it's about. Like that, that's what you could see in it. You could yeah. see it in every song they made, every performance they did, every music video they made. I mean, a anytime you see bands collaborating with directors on the level that they do with Spike Jones, like, that's something you can see. Like you can see that they're they're challenging each other and pushing each other, and it's just that is punk. I mean, that is what punk punk is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Do what you want. Is. So what's coming up for you uh, guys, John? You gonna hit the road more in support of the album of Evil Friends? Sadly. Yeah, there's nothing. We we have one tour left before we take a little break. Tell me about this. There's a thing that you guys you did online where I don't know if you used Instagram or what it was, but you for the Evil Friends thing there were portraits of like Kendrick Lamar or Tom York and there was <laughs> well tell me how you guys did that and where did that idea come from? So I was sitting in a hotel room at one point, and I think I had opened up a magazine. It was it was Esquire. I was reading Esquire. Like, Tom York was in there, and I, I drew some stuff on him, and I posted it to Instagram, and picked up another magazine. I'm reading interviews and stuff. Kendrick Lamar and ASAP Rocky. Like, I was just kind of going through these magazines, and I just started drawing on top of the photos. I mean, it's nothing really, really new, but it definitely fit the whole vibe of the record, which was just... I mean, really, who, again, who cares? It's not about uh, Tom York and Radiohead or Kendrick Lamar and what he's doing. Like, they're all artists, and they're all great artists, and they're all doing their thing, and we're just kind of adding our, our bit to that. It's like, a, you know, making a collaboration happen. You just go and draw an Andre 3000's face. Yeah. And we should make a record, would tell you? Yes, definitely. <laughs> you know, you talk I mean, about an amazing, amazing, great. amazing performer and artist. Like, I mean, Big Boy was just on this podcast when his new album came out. He was here. And, you know, he's, I love him. I love them both. But Andre needs to get back in the studio. We need a record from him. You know? Yeah, those dudes. <laughs> a lot of guys do that. You know, like, it's one of those things, like, with even, like, Justin Timberlake, he wasn't going to make a record. He wasn't going to make another record. But, of course, you know, he had that deal with Live Nation and there was a tour coming up. And he's like, you know. Come on, we agree when you make a record. So he went back in and did two at, at, at one pop. The other one that's coming out wasn't recorded at the same time. But, you know, sometimes people that break into the other forms of artistic ex expression, like acting or whatever else they decide to do, they step out and they, like, they don't go back into the th those things. Yeah. The fans are waiting. So uh, I wish Andre would do so. Maybe your drawing on, will inspire him to do so. Yeah. You I'm know? sure he'll, he'll look at my Instagram yes. one day and be yeah. like, Oh man, this Portugal man thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got it. <laughs> Tell me about the song "Creep" in a T-shirt on the record. I just wanted to know if there was any kind of real reference in that one, or there was uh, some experience. Uh, yeah, there's some experience. I mean, <laughs> yeah. some stuff has happened with this band. Uh, that song. I'll tell you a funny story about it. Yeah. I mean, I believe that yeah. and "Modern Jesus" were the two very last songs we finished, and they were also number. Uh, two, Modern Jesus was the second song we started writing at yeah. the beginning with Brian and Creep in a T-Shirt was like the fifth that we started. Yeah. Um, Creep in a T-Shirt was me sitting in this vocal booth fucking annoyed, like trying to write lyrics for this thing. Like we had the verses, we had no chorus to it and Brian, <laughs> Brian's sitting there and he's such a, an amazing producer. I mean, I really do put him on the level with like 
Tony Visconti, like yeah. he'll play bass with Bowie. And, yeah. You know, Mark Boland, like he'll write arrangements. Yeah, he put all the strings over those Boland songs. He yeah. would come in after Mark was done recording with the original band, and he'd go in at night and lay down those strings that kind of filled out that sound on those T Rex records. Yeah, man, I love seeing. I read his book, like to him talking oh, Bowie, about. Bowie Boland and the Brooklyn Boy, great yeah. book, right? Man, how he faked it through some of those sessions and like yeah. trying to act like he was British and all that stuff. Yeah. Just too funny. He's I mean, a that's... really sweet guy. He's such a great dude, you know. Yeah, I met him like last time we played Terminal Five. Craig brought him to the show and I mean I didn't realize he was actually gonna be there, like hanging out. We got off stage and I was walking back to the green room and Tony Visconti's standing there in the hallway. And I just, I mean, I didn't know what to do. I just gave him the sweatiest hug. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's made some amazing, amazing records. But, I mean, that's the type of guy Brian is. Like, yeah. The Black Keys, we'll talk about him. Like, he's he's our third member. And yeah. I mean, he really is. I mean, he's co-written a lot of those tracks and comes up with sounds. Yeah. And their friendship is just, you know, all, of that stuff goes, all goes back to working with them and that Black Rock album they did with all the hip-hop guys. And it's just, um, and they forged that friendship. But Brian's that kind of guy. That's why... Yeah, All those people love working with him. You know, he's so funny because Brian had told me, because he would tell me about working, and he told me about working with YouTube. I mean, obviously, he's worked on this new record with them for a while, but ages ago. And now that, of course, the story got out, I can say it. But a year and a half before that Rome project came out with Jack White and um, Nora Jones and Daniel Lupe, of course, um, he said to me, I got this thing up and doing. You're not going to believe, you know, because we've been friends a long time. Yeah. And I always, I always honor that. I'll never talk about something that a friend tells me not to do. That's how you keep your friends. But I just was amazed at just the diversity of somebody like Brian, you know? Yeah. And, and how about Tony? You know, working with Bowie, Bowen, Morrissey, Thin Lizzy, like, I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah, the, I mean, those are the really, truly great producers. The, the producers that aren't defined by the genre that they produce. I mean, they, they can step outside. I mean, Brian, to me, is just a classic producer. Yeah. And, and we don't have tons of them. Like, we don't He's have one of the greatest of producers of our time, if not the greatest producer of our time, in my opinion. Of, you know, the young, you know what I mean, people that have really broken into it in the last 10 years or so. Yeah, I'd, um, I'd stand by that, too. I mean, just the way he works in the studio is, I mean, he'll say no. Like, the yeah. way he says no is not... The way a lot of producers put it forward. Yeah, he, he says, does it in, nah, in a like, more, more relaxed way, right? Yeah, it's like, nah, man, I think you could do better. <laughs> yeah, and like you always feel like you can do better. Like, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not as confrontational then, right? Yeah, it's just it's like, a difference. Not being like abused by your producer, where you feel like you're in a quarter year about these stories. People that make records and they beat down band members. Yeah, throwing <laughs> bottles at band members, like sing it louder, yeah. sing it harder. Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, he's an amazing producer, and having him say, "I think you can do better." Just gets you so stoked. Like, yeah. like, fuck yeah, I can do better. Well, of course say, I can do better. Well, that's the thing. I mean, people say that. So some big bands need to work with certain types of producers to get everybody going. I mean, it's a fun, the, the classic story on London Calling from The Clash was Guy Stevens, a producer who was known as an absolute madman. They hired him because he did Mata Hoople years before. He actually poured a Coca-Cola can soda into a baby grand piano because he thought Mick Jones was putting too much piano on one of the songs. <laughs> so, like, you know, that's a little that's the kind of craziness and stories you hear about people jumping up and down, breaking stuff. So we like Brian's, you know, Brian's. Uh, yeah, Brian's I approach mean, is really great. I mean, when we were working on <laughs> when we were working on Creep, I, I remember just sitting in that vocal booth. Uh, I mean, I was in there for hours, and. Finally, I just, I was sitting there and they, they let it run. I was just like, 
Yeah, I'm a creep with a t-shirt, jeans, yeah. I don't fucking care. And it was me really saying, I don't fucking care. Like, we're yeah. fucking done with this song. Like, it's yeah. not going to be on the record. And, and Brian's just sitting back there, two. like, sunglasses on. He's like, thumbs up. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's so it. Yeah. Like, that's good. Well, but I, I think it was great. the honesty. And it, it was like, I mean, you can really hear. I mean, I can because I know the situation I was in. The guys all know, like, I don't fucking care. Yeah. Like, it, it was... Uh, just one of those moments. I think those are the really great moments, too, yeah. when you hear about that in the studio. When new things happen at the last minute, or when you're really not expecting anything to come of it. Yeah. And that's it's, it's almost like going to see a movie you know, that you're like not that excited about, and it blows you away or something. It's a, or a record you listen to that you're like, ah, I'll check it out. And all of a sudden, you found something that really grabs a hold of you. That's like yeah, yeah. those experiences. I guess I'll check it out. Yeah. I guess I'll check <laughs> that out. That's amazing. Well, John, I want to thank you so much for doing this today. Always great to see you, man. Hey, you too, man. It's just fucking cool, man. It was a blast. Portugal to Man, the new album is Evil Friends. Make sure you pick it up. It's on Atlantic. I'm Matt Pinfield. Thanks for listening. This has been the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. For all things music, news, interviews, live events, and more, go to mtvhive.com.